Good morning. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Sometimes people ask me, why are you so committed to teaching the Word of God? Why is it that you dig in and dig out all the details? Why is it that you go through verse by verse and phrase by phrase and word by word? Well, the reason is because we know that what you listen to and what you believe has an impact on the way you live your life. If you know the Word of God, then it affects the way you live. Doctrine is never intended as an elective course in the Christian life. Doctrine is never intended as theory. It's never intended as an end in itself. It always leads to action. And we see that by the way Scripture is laid out. We are never told in Scripture to do anything until we're first told what God has already done for us. You look at the pattern of the New Testament. It's always doctrine and then duty. It's our position in Christ, and then it's our practice. It's theology, and then the practical implication of that. For example, you read the book of Romans. It's 11 chapters of theology about our salvation. Then you come to chapter 12, and what does he say? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. On the basis of 11 chapters of theology about your salvation, therefore, lay your body down. You look at the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are our high calling in Christ. You get to chapter 4 and verse 1, and he says, therefore, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. First three chapters of Ephesians are all about our position. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. The last three chapters are all about our practice. First three chapters, we're in Christ in the heavenlies. Last three chapters, Christ is in us, walking, not sitting, walking on the earth. That's the way Scripture is laid out. What you know gets applied in your life. Now, having said that, if you say, I know doctrine and I can quote Bible verses and your life isn't changed, what you're knowing is not doctrine. What you're studying is not doctrine. What you're studying is ego. If you say, well, I'm not into doctrine. I just want to love everybody and live for Christ. You're missing it as well. See, that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were saying, we, we don't believe this doctrine about resurrection. We're Christians, but we don't, we don't like that doctrine. It doesn't make sense to us. It's weird. And so Paul writes this 15th chapter 
to address the subject of resurrection. And in the verses we're going to look at today, verses 29 to 34, Paul says, if you say there's no resurrection, then you remove all the incentives for Christian living. You see, the doctrine of the resurrection not only has an impact on our future, it has an impact on today. And Paul mentions in these verses three areas of the Christian life that would be affected if there's no resurrection. Three practical areas of the Christian life that would be absurd if there's no resurrection. And those three areas are our salvation, our service, and our sanctification. That's a big word for meaning set set apart from sin. First of all, salvation, verse 29. He says, otherwise... What will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Now, several people have been asking me what this verse means. And I've been stalling them by saying, we'll get to it in 1 Corinthians. Now we're here. So I can't stall anymore. What do I think this verse means? I don't know. I read someone who said there are are 40 possible interpretations that are suggested for this verse. And the ones I read, of the ones I read, I'm not totally comfortable with any of them. But even though I'm not sure what this verse means, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. The Mormon church builds a whole doctrine around this one verse. Their position is that someone can be baptized for a dead person. That's why they're so into genealogies. You want to find a lost relative? Talk to the Mormon church. They find everybody. Go back to Grandpa Joe. He he wasn't a believer, so I'll be baptized for Grandpa Joe. They can be saved by proxy, according to that position. Well, let me give you a principle for studying Scripture. We understand a single verse in light of the rest of Scripture. So when you have a single verse that you're not sure about, you can't run with that verse. You have to make it fit into what the rest of Scripture says. And this teaching that you can be baptized for dead people runs counter to everything else in Scripture. What's the Bible say? It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the baptism? No. You say, well, what does it mean then? Well, let me give you some of the best options for this verse. And then I will settle on one just so you can say I took a stand. Number one, some say that this was a heretical teaching among some of the religious sects of that day, that some of the cults of that day were teaching this idea that you could be baptized for the dead. Paul is not condoning it. He isn't really at this point concerned about what's right or wrong. He's simply using that practice in order to make an argument. He's saying, these people get baptized for the dead. Why bother about the dead if there is no resurrection to come. 
And this position would be supported by the pronouns. If you look in verse 29, he uses the pronoun, they are baptized for them. When you get to verse 30, he says, we, so he switches pronouns. Now, I'm not comfortable with that view because all through this chapter, Paul is talking about the resurrection and he's talking about things that we would lose, real things that we would lose if there's no resurrection. It would seem strange to me that he would build an argument around the heresy simply to make a point. Second view, the word for in verse 29, the Greek word huper, can be translated a number of different ways. It can mean over, above, across, on behalf of, instead of, or because of. Some take the word translated for in your Bible to mean over. And so it would read, what will those do who are baptized over the dead? And then they build a theory that people often got baptized over the graves of dead people. I can't find any historical evidence of that, but that helps their position on this verse. Gives a whole new meaning to over my dead body. If I took that position, I'd I'd have to change my view of baptism also because I don't see how you can get dunked over a grave. Third position. To take the word for as meaning in the place of. The idea is that the universal church is constantly changing as individuals die and others come to faith in Christ. And so these new Converts, in a sense, come into the place of those who have died. They are filling up the ranks. And so Paul's argument would be, why bother replacing people who have died if there's no resurrection? Fourth option. Some take the dead to refer to our bodies. Baptism is an identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. It indicates the hope in resurrection. And Paul is saying, what's the use in being baptized for a dead body, a body that will never rise again? Did you find one you like? Let me give you one more. Baptism in Scripture is closely associated with salvation. In fact, it was unheard of and unthinkable for a person in the first century to be saved and not to be baptized. Everybody was baptized. It is the outward expression of the inward reality of my faith in Christ. It is my identification with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So to say that someone is baptized is to say that they are saved. Now, if you take the word for, who pair, to mean because of, Paul is saying if there is no resurrection, then why would people get saved because of the dead or because of the testimony of the dead? Look at verse 29. 
Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized because of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized because of them? For instance, Paul is dead. Many people are still coming to Christ because of the testimony of the Apostle Paul. He's saying, why would we come to Christ on the testimony of a dead person if that dead person will never rise again? I had somebody tell me last week that they got howled. Why bother getting howled? Because Hal is dead. And if Hal is not going to rise from the dead, then why would you follow his testimony? Or perhaps Paul has in mind a person watching another person die with hope and confidence. We've had examples of that recently. I think of John Moore dying with such confidence as a Christian and the impact that that had on unbelievers around him. And maybe he's presenting that idea that you, you watch a believer, when it comes to the greatest fear we have, the Bible says our greatest fear is death. When people watch a Christian die with confidence and faith and hope, it's a great testimony to them. It draws people to Christ. Stephen died as a picture of hope. Who was standing nearby watching the coats of those who stoned him to death? young man named Saul, who later became Paul. He watched the testimony of Stephen. Why follow the testimony of someone who's died if there is no resurrection? So Paul is saying that incentive of seeing the witness of Christians who are now gone would be lost if there's no resurrection. You say, well, which view do you take, Dan? Well, I lean toward the last one because it fits my outline. Second area affected by no resurrection is service. Look at verse 30. Paul says, why are we also in danger every hour? If there's no resurrection, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself in danger every hour? You see, you take away the resurrection and you take away the motivation for serving Jesus Christ. The thing that causes people to suffer and endure and sustain hardship and to do the work of Christ at all costs is the promise of the resurrection and rewards to come. Paul says he was in danger every hour. And you say, well, Paul, aren't you exaggerating a little bit? Look at verse 31. Paul says, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Paul is saying, I'm not exaggerating. I swear I die daily. Now, some people take the I die daily to be spiritual. I take it to be literal. Because if he's simply saying I die spiritually every day, he wouldn't have to swear that he's doing that. It's kind of hard to see that I've died daily, except when I scream at my kids like James does. Personal application. 
Paul's talking about not just dying spiritually, which he did every day. He's talking about putting his life on the line physically every day. And so he says, I swear. He makes an oath out of it. He's saying, I swear by the pride I have in you in Christ. As proud as I am of what Christ has done in you, that's how truly I say, I die daily. You say, every day? Well, look over a few chapters to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 8. Paul kind of summarizes his life. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul says, that's the way I live. There's constant confrontation. Why? Because he slammed up against the system and took the persecution and took the abuse that Jesus took as well. But notice verse 32 of our chapter. What if there's no resurrection? Paul says, if from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? Now, Paul is writing this letter from the city of Ephesus, and he says, if from some kind of human incentive I fought with beasts, what purpose would there be in that? Now, again, some people take the beast to be figurative, beastly people. I take it literally. What would motivate a person to serve Christ all the way to the arena with the lions? If everything we do is for the here and now, if everything we do ends at the grave... What would Paul do that for? You see, if there's no resurrection, then service for Christ would be absurd. What would be the logical conclusion if you threw out the resurrection? You want to know? Look at the end of verse 32. He says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there's no resurrection, Paul says, let's party Let's live it up. Let's grab for the gusto because you only go around once in life. You know, there are only two logical lifestyles in this world. And I want you to get this this morning. There are only two logical lifestyles. Number one, you reject the truth of God. You accept the fact that there is only this life nothing else, and you live for all the sensual pleasure you can get, that's logical. Second option, you accept the truth of God, you accept the fact that there is a resurrection to come, 
And you live this life in view of the life to come. You surrender your body as a living sacrifice to God, and you serve him no matter what it costs you in this life. That's why the end of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, after telling us to surrender our body as a living sacrifice, it says that's your reasonable service. And that Greek word means literally logical. After what Christ has done for me, laying down his life, rising again, giving me life, promising that I will rise again, I need to lay down my life as a sacrifice to him because it's the only logical thing to do. There are only two logical ways to live in this life. Live totally for yourself and pleasure or surrender yourself to Jesus Christ and live totally for him. Now, our problem is we like to be somewhere in between. We like to find a third option. The comfort option doesn't exist. If you're living anywhere else between total hedonism and being sold out to Jesus Christ, You are being illogical. Now, let me say something else. When you look at the person who lives his or her life to party, what do you say? Some of us say, he's disgusting. She's disgusting. You know what you should say? That's logical. That's logical. They are living more rationally than most Christians I know. They are living by faith. They believe that there's no afterlife, and they are living out that belief. They are living for today. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that you will rise from the dead? Do you believe that? Well, then you need to live rationally. You need to live by faith. And to live by faith in the fact that you will rise again means that you should be dying daily. You should be living, not for today, but living for tomorrow. We should be sold out to Jesus Christ, no matter what it costs. If you found out today that Jesus is dead, how much would it change the way you live your life? Paul says it should change 180 degrees because without the resurrection, service would be absurd. Third area is sanctification. Look at verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, we've all heard that, haven't we? Everybody's mom says that. Bad company corrupts good morals. And we take this verse to mean you need to pick your friends well. It's really not what this verse means so much, although that applies. The word company is the Greek word homilia, 
from which we get the word homily, which means a speech. It's where we get the word homiletics, which is the class where they teach you how to preach and proclaim the Word of God. And so what he's saying is bad messages, bad communication corrupts good morals, or bad theology corrupts or brings bad morals. You see, just as right doctrine leads to right behavior, wrong doctrine leads to wrong behavior. That's why we teach the Word of God here, because you need to understand right doctrine because it impacts living right. If you have wrong belief, then you're going to have wrong living. And this false doctrine about the resurrection had led to sin among the Corinthians. And so Paul says in verse 34, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. Sober up. Wake up. Stop sinning. He said earlier that when Christians die, their bodies sleep. He says you as believers are asleep today spiritually, so wake up, sober up. Stop sinning. And then he says, for some have no knowledge of God. Some in Corinth didn't even know the Lord, and others were listening to them. And so Paul says, wake up. You're actually buying the teaching of unbelievers. And then he adds, I speak this to your shame. You ought to be ashamed. You're listening to unbelievers. You're believing that there's no resurrection, and that belief is bearing fruit in your life. And what is the fruit? Sin. Why do we emphasize the teaching of the Scriptures? Because right doctrine is the basis for right behavior. And today, probably more than any other generation... We are fighting against a whole lot of evil communication. We are the most communicated to society that's ever lived on this planet. I saw the other day that the average American who reads a newspaper spends 40 minutes a day. On Sunday, they spend an average of 100 minutes a day reading the newspaper. They digest 10 to 20,000 words a day. The average American listens to the radio an hour and a quarter a day. The average American watches TV two and a half hours a day. And the average American is on the computer online 24-7. And what is the theology that you're hearing in all that communication. The theology is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's a message with no promise. It's a message with no hope. It's a message with no future. It's a message to live for today. So you had better be careful, because that message can corrupt your morals. That's why we need to take in the truth of God. That's why we need this word to be the foundation of our life. And with the assurance on the promises of Scripture 
that we will rise again, we are then motivated to salvation, to service, and to sanctification. I'm going to have the praise team come back. We're going to have the opportunity to close our service by celebrating the fact that Jesus has risen. And because he lives, we will live also. Let's worship him and confirm our confidence in that today as we close our service. Mm-hmm. <laughs>